Welcome to the Quarter 1 2022 edition of Thinks, Trends, and Takeaways, the audio companion of Thinkscapes. I'm your host, Jacob, the head of Thinks Labs. For those who are unfamiliar, Thinkscapes is a quarterly publication sorting the signal from the noise in information security research. The current print edition and all past editions can be found for free at thinks.com ts. Like the previous edition, this issue focuses on content released, published, or presented since the publication of the quarter 4, 2021 release. In consideration of the Omicron variant, a number of larger conferences were delayed in the hopes of an in-person format, so listeners may notice a decline in the number of conferences reviewed. Despite the decline in publication venues during the first quarter, high-quality work was still being performed. In some cases, the format was a blog post, Git repository, or a pre-publication paper on archive. With the lull in presentations, Thinkscape editors opened the aperture for content to include these blogs and papers pending publication at delayed conferences. While the Thinkscape staff endeavored to find and review all the blog posts that readers may find interesting, some likely have slipped through the cracks. We're asking for your help in flagging content you think should be included for consideration. Any papers, presentations, and blog posts are welcome. Please send them to ts at thinks.com. For this issue, Thinkscape editors reviewed almost 2,000 submissions from conferences, plus posts from over 50 blogs. As before, Thinks Labs is happy to provide an email with a link to the new issue upon release. Interested readers can visit the Thinkscape's homepage, thinks.com ts, to sign up or subscribe to this audio version. This issue has three distinct themes in addition to the sundries that warranted inclusion. Low-level bug hunting in the most privileged areas of computing systems, progress towards mainstream adoption of confidential computing, and AI ML attacks and defenses that jumped out. Each is briefly described before a more detailed description of each paper and the associated takeaways from each. Low-level but high-privilege bug hunting. This theme jumped out as the most prevalent in this issue. Vulnerability research into weaknesses into deeper portions of the compute stack. From the operating system and down, all the way to the CPU, work in this theme highlighted novel or unexpected attack surfaces, and many introduced automation that will allow many more eyes to look at these highly privileged system components. From a bug in the Linux kernel's new I.O. API to a speculative execution issue that should never have been possible, it is clear that there is a new generation of researchers targeting the underpinning technologies of modern cloud stacks. Next, confidential computing for the masses. Content in this theme showed the momentum behind keeping data safe from prying eyes, both from the client side with new encryption capabilities and from the server side with CPU-assisted confidentiality primitives. This theme has a distinct productization focus, looking at how best to integrate and deploy these primitives, from a developer's perspective on the state of post-quantum encryption to a seamless platform to run a Kubernetes cluster without even the infrastructure provider having access. This trend is coming soon to a cloud near you. And finally, machine learning is here to help, or not. As always, there is no shortage of interesting work being done in the fields of machine learning and artificial intelligence. This theme sees machine learning algorithms used to redefine the performance of side channel attacks, and also uses ML to improve attacks against ML in the real world. As ML frameworks become more accessible to all developers, it is likely that future Thinkscapes issues will feature more ways that machine learning is used to amplify or enable non-AIML and AIML attacks alike. And then lastly, we always have nifty sundries. These are some papers that do not fit precisely into any of the emergent themes for the issue, but still warranted inclusion. 
This quarter includes work on how WebGL opens up privacy and tracking concerns, how a vendor turned around their security posture and remained standing at pwn to own and how hardware extensions for memory protections have turned into real-world improvements. Now, without further ado, let's dive into this quarter's content. Theme 1, Low-Level but High-Privilege Bug Hunting First, we have Hintrospect, a fuzzer for Hyper-V devices by Diane Dubois. In this work, the researcher aimed to build an exploratory fuzzer for the closed-sourced Hyper-V to allow researchers to assess its security firsthand. Like most virtualization solutions, Hyper-V provides support for both legacy guests that think they're on real hardware platforms and guests with special libraries or enlightenments to accelerate communication between the guest and the host. This work focuses on the legacy guest support, as there are large portions of C++ code that need to implement complex state machines to emulate, for example, a PS2 keyboard or IDE disk drive. By combining a cooperating host and guest, these supporting libraries can be fuzzed to understand if there are vulnerabilities or functionality issues. While the author has not yet discovered any security vulnerabilities with this tool, they were able to prove out the execution flow and discover a sequence of port.io commands that would cause the guest to crash. The fuzzer is under active development, and it'll be interesting to see how it evolves and changes how Hyper-V security is analyzed. While Microsoft has been progressive about performing security research on its own products, the closed-source nature limited the scope of researchers exploring the depths of the Windows virtualization ecosystem. My takeaway is that this work provides a platform for other researchers to explore the underlying infrastructure of both the popular operating system as well as the fabric underpinning one of the largest commercial clouds. Next, we have Put an IOU Ring on It, Exploiting the Linux Kernel by Valentina Palmietti, a.k.a. Chompy1337. In this research, a new I.O. interface in the Linux kernel is explored by the researcher who in a previous Thinkscape issue laid out an eBPF vulnerability. The interface in question, I.O. Uring, allows for user space applications to register many system calls via a shared memory buffer that the kernel will then asynchronously handle. By minimizing the context switch overhead and blocking needed, this new API allows for significantly faster I.O. throughput on many Linux workloads. At the crux of the issue, a field in a struct is used to represent two types of pointers with drastically different security postures, kernel pointers that hold kernel data and user pointers to untrusted data. The field is named the same and is switched with a call that needs to happen correctly prior to the field's use in all execution flows. Chompy is suspicious and correctly identifies that using the same variable name for two pointers from different security domains could cause confusion, and then identifies a spot where the confusion results in freeing the wrong piece of memory, leading to a kernel use after free, and through some clever work, a kernel privilege escalation. Takeaways from this work are that the underlying system components are undergoing constant changes. Just because an operating system or hypervisor has been solid and reliable for a long time, doesn't mean it doesn't have fresh new attack surfaces. As the boundaries between privileges become more permeable, expect to see continued vulnerabilities in these new and off-changing ABIs. And secondly, the kernel's community's preference for obscuring security patches, both with reporting email address constraints and scrubbing CVEs from the patch, makes data analysis to understand vulnerability impact much more difficult. Even with a software bill of materials, if the patches that address vulnerabilities are obscured, determining applicability to your environment is that much more difficult. Going even deeper into the compute stack, we have Pavel Vyachorakevich's two-part blog series on the AMD branch MIST predictor, where no CPU has gone before. In this work, the researcher discovered a previously unprotected construct that allowed for speculatively leaking information on certain generations of AMD CPUs. 
This construct, Straight Line Speculation, or SLS, is based on the branch predictor of those CPUs speculatively executing instructions after an unconditional branch. In essence, code that never can be reached. We love how the researcher was able to perform a number of experiments to determine why this occurs a small fraction of percent of the time, and in doing so is able to get the CPU into a state where it occurs almost always. Coupling this with an untrusted eBPF application that on many distributions can be loaded by non-root users, the author demonstrates an unprivileged user leaking a pointer to break KSLR in less than half a second. The takeaways from this is that while eBPF is popular and many distributions allow unprivileged users to load programs into the kernel based on the security guarantees expected architecturally, this work shows that a careful review of speculative properties is needed to safely execute an untrusted eBPF program. And second, there have been a rise in the number of language runtime constraints, multi-tenant systems. Most of them have been evaluated for the security properties of the instructions that execute architecturally, but not fully checked for speculative impacts especially across all CPU architecture families. Surprises like SLS are likely to crop up again with varying impacts. Following in the vein of language-based protections falling in the face of speculative attacks, we have Dynamic Process Isolation by Martin Schwarzel et al. This work presents both a speculative attack against Cloudflare workers, which is their serverless function option, to leak data from co-resident functions, as well as an adaptive defense that migrates suspicious workers to a separate process. To combat speculative execution attacks leaking another customer's information from the same process space, the environment has no fine-grained timing primitives, thus preventing an attacking worker from measuring the timing difference in caches. However, with enough samples, this work showed that a remote server's high-performance timer can differentiate between cache hits or misses, bringing this attack surface back and allowing for a slow but relevant 128 bits per hour leak. This attack does assume full control over the scheduling to a specific host and scheduling of target workers repetitively processing the same secret over time, both of which are a tall order for a product designed to provide a quick computations as a response. The researchers then proposed a defense for their attack. By moving each worker into a separate process, the attack can be entirely prevented. However, the performance cost of doing so is significant. By using hardware performance counters to identify workers that were suspicious as candidates for relocation to their own processes, the researchers were able to provide a higher security posture with less performance impact. The takeaways from this are twofold. The ability to successfully leak sensitive data via speculative execution attack with a remote timing source underscores the difficulty of completely stamping out this threat. Vendors can carefully remove timing sources, but if there is a reliable network access, leakage is still feasible. And then the trend of language-based isolation is compelling from a developer and performance perspective. However, even with guardrails in place, risks exist. There will continue to be an ebb and flow of designs using or eschewing process-based isolation. This paper's model of suspicion-based protection is a nice middle ground. Finally, in this theme, we have the last paper, Another Brick in the Wall, Uncovering SMM Vulnerabilities in HP Firmware by Itai Liba and Asaf Karlsbad. This work looks at the process of mechanizing, searching for EUFI firmware images for vulnerabilities in system management mode, or SMM, functionality. While there's been a long history of vulnerabilities in SMM, both in the legacy BIOS and modern EUFI eras, many of these have been by specialized researchers with deep technical knowledge of how the firmware operates on a specific system. For example, the Invisible Things Lab's Q35 BIOS bug is only present on a specific motherboard chipset. 
The tool presented, known as Brick, combines a number of tools to both extract and identify SMM code from a UEFI image, a number of scripted heuristics for IDA or hex rays to find potential vulnerabilities, and some triaging informational modules. In addition to the release of the tool, the authors walk through a specific HP target as a case study, finding six privilege escalation attacks into SMM that could allow for near-total system control, including the bypass of EUFI Secure Boot. The heuristics are modular, so it's likely that additional attack patterns will be added over time. There are three takeaways from this. First, the EUFI and SMM were once the realm of only a few experts and well-funded research organizations. Now with tools like Brick, its cousin, FW Hunt, and ChipSec, these areas will get additional scrutiny. While it used to be the case that ignoring firmware attacks was likely safe, now that's no longer the case. Second, even though there's been a concerted push towards memory-safe languages across much of the user space software stack, some firmware requires direct memory access, and these firmware blobs will surface older-style memory corruption attacks with high consequences due to their privileged nature. Finally, the maturation of vulnerability pattern repositories and associated scanners highlight the scaling of this vulnerability research and the ability to mechanize knowledge sharing of anti-patterns for security. The corresponding processes on the defensive side for secure coding are scattered, but starting coalesce behind CodeQL and Jorn-style code queries for security. Moving into our second theme of the issue, we have confidential computing for the masses. We start with two presentations. Confidential Containers, Bringing Confidential Computing to Kubernetes Workload Masses by Samuel Ortiz, and Kubernetes Meets Confidential Computing, The Different Ways of Scaling Sensitive Workloads by Moritz Eckert. Both of these presentations outline the integration of confidential computing primitives into Kubernetes to ease adoption and deployment. Confidential computing aims to deprivilege the infrastructure provider to allow for workloads to protect themselves from a malicious or insecure environment. Sensitive applications execute within an enclave that has some form of root of trust and attestation to ensure that it was correctly deployed. Enclaves have various protections against adversaries, from policy enforcement in the hypervisor to on-CPU encryption of memory with the keys that the hypervisor cannot access. Confidential computing still has an uphill battle between hardware support, cloud provider support, and finally, developer-focused interfaces that make use of these novel environments. These presentations cover the work being performed in the Kubernetes space to reduce the friction of that last component. A seamless switch to an encrypted Kubernetes cluster with enclaves backing the root of trust attestation and encryption key protections will make the lives of developers and organizations deploying on containers much simpler, though at the expense of obfuscating much of the underlying security properties that vary from provider to provider. While ease of use is a noble goal, multi-cloud environments will be complicated with each infrastructure provider offering different confidentiality primitives. I see two takeaways of note. One, that there are significant complexities in the stacks that support confidential computing, and with that complexity comes many opportunities for issues to arise. Every hardware-based confidential computing framework has had security issues, and while they will improve, it is difficult to imagine they will ever overcome a motivated adversary with physical control of the system. And secondly, even with that caveat, multiple large companies have signed on to support confidential computing. This shows that it must be close to reaching the mainstream. It's likely that while seamlessly integrated into popular platforms will increase its use, there are still too many concerns to drastically change the threat space for organizations reluctant to move their most sensitive workloads to the cloud. Next, and last in this theme, Hakala et al. present implementing post-quantum cryptography for developers. 
Their work explored the implementation and integration of post-quantum cryptographic algorithms into a mainstream encryption library called Crypto++. While the U.S. government's NIST is still actively narrowing down its selection pool of post-quantum cryptography algorithms, a few have made it through the initial rounds, and the authors took these reference implementations to examine how well these new methods fit into existing libraries on a number of axes. Implementation ease, testing and debugging complexity, performance, and homogeneity with how these libraries are currently used by applications in hopes of minimizing the learning curve to switch out the algorithms. The mathematical underpinnings of post-quantum crypto are much more complicated and less familiar to developers. Even with a relatively limited scope of converting C to C++ and integrating it into an existing open-source library, the authors found difficulties with all the steps. Between understanding the intent behind portions of the algorithm, how it can or cannot be safely optimized, and refactoring from compile time parameters to runtime options, the process was challenging, especially when some operations were found to be non-deterministic and therefore very tedious to debug and test. Finally, the performance of essentially identical code varied widely depending on the compiler, CPU type, and optimizations enabled. From this, take away two things. Even without the complex but essential cryptanalysis, side channel analyses, and theoretical scrutinies needed for an algorithm to become trusted, this work shows that even the implementation process is difficult. And secondly, post-quantum crypto is significantly more complex than its classical counterpart. This complexity trickles down from the theory to the implementation, testing, deployment, and usage. This process will take a while yet, and early adopters may find themselves exposed by legacy assumptions that don't hold up for post-quantum. For our final theme of this issue, we have machine learning is here to help, or not. First, we start with my favorite paper of the quarter, CMUA Watermark, a cross-model, universal adversarial watermark for combating deepfakes by Hao Hong et al. The primary of the defenses against deepfakes, or image or video content synthetically generated from source images of a target, has been in the detection of such content. This work flips that defensive, detection-oriented strategy around, first building a highly transferable, black-box attack against a variety of the GAN models used to generate deepfake content, then evaluating the approach of adding an invisible watermark to the original source images, for example, celebrity faces that may be faked in the future, that would cause the deep fakes to appear distorted or unrealistic. Not only does the attack watermark need to support multiple images, universal with respect to the input, it must broadly support multiple deep fake generation models, universal with respect to the deep fake generator. Their evaluation showed that applying a very minor, invisible to the human eye watermark resulted in large changes to the output from any of the tested deep fake generators. My takeaways from this is that embedding subtle changes into the data to prevent malicious manipulation is a brilliant way to get ahead of adversarial AI attacks. Due to the passive nature of these embeddings, there is very little cost or maintenance needed, allowing this model to be used in a variety of ways when adversarial AI approach may be deployed. Thanks to the open source nature of this work, it's conceivable that image sharing pipelines could add these watermarks automatically, protecting shared images from malicious reuse. And second, while this work aimed to ensure broad transferability between deepfake generators, the cat-and-mouse nature of this field will likely result in an upcoming paper on removing adversarial watermarks, then countering that with covert watermarks, etc. It will be interesting to see how this plays out, but putting attacks on the back foot is always a bonus. Next, there's Leashing the Inner Demons, Self-Detoxification for Language Models by Kanwen Zhu et al. 
Online chatbots have famously gone awry, notably Microsoft's Tay, which in just hours was spewing hate-filled messages. As language models increase in complexity and performance, there is a constant appeal of allowing software to interact more naturally with users through the use of natural language. To keep language models fresh, feedback is used to evolve how content is generated based on inputs and response scores. This work looks at how best to support the benefits of feedback while minimizing the risk of toxic output. Through the use of specific prompts that induce the model to generate toxic output, a language model could be specialized to give a higher chance of outputting toxic content for all prompts. This model was then used in concert with an untainted one to re-rank potential outputs based on joint probabilities, reducing the chances of outputting content that a toxified model would prefer. Despite no supervision in the evaluation process, this work performed as well as a leading supervised system, without the need for a supervisor providing ground truth. This technique can be scaled up and applied easily to future chatbots. Language models must balance both the need for feedback to continuously improve and a known good foundation to ensure output that reflects the values of the provider. By essentially allowing random users to reprogram AI chatbots, there's a reputational risk in releasing or deploying any such models to the public. Now moving from cyberspace to the real world, there's fooling the eyes of autonomous vehicles, robust physical adversarial examples against traffic sign recognition systems by Wei Jiadol. While there's been no shortage of adversarial attacks and defenses against ML systems, the majority have been generating digital adversarial examples that are provided directly to the target software classifier. While notable examples exist of attacking the computer vision systems in autonomous vehicles with physical manipulation, this work mechanizes and optimizes the process of jumping between the digital and physical worlds. Where this work goes beyond the majority of adversarial attacks is the training pipeline using a variety of weather conditions, distances, viewing angles, and closing speeds to build a large corpus of captured frames to understand how a physical object is permuted by blurring, reflections, and skewing from off-center viewing. The final test in this work was a black box transfer attack from their adversarial example against a 2021 year model car that the researchers had no insights into the workings of. This showed how their attacks were robust across ML systems and in the multitude of uncontrolled variables that come from experimental testing in the real world. Beyond the specific real world consequences of a paper printout confusing autonomous vehicles, this work deepens our understanding of the differences between how digital systems and humans perceive the world. Building pipelines to bridge those gaps not only open attack possibilities, but could also help build future infrastructure more easily and robustly accessible to both humans and machines. And next, the data set from this outdoor experimentation helps set a basis for comparison for other adversarial attacks. This work should raise the bar for future attacks and defenses to ensure their behavior in the physical world matches that of the digital evaluations. And finally, for this theme, there's Yi Bing Du et al. with Synthetic Disinformation Attacks on Automated Fact Verification Systems. This paper examined the automatic fact verification systems used to flag content submitted to social media sites. Starting from a repository of evidence and other knowledge content in human-readable form is then mined to either support or refute a claim, for example, that COVID-19 was caused by 5G. In order to provide timely results based on the latest research, these repositories must support the addition of new data, research, and findings. By adding a small number of malicious pieces of evidence or modifying existing records, the overall selection and interpretation of the evidence could be changed to provide the opposite viewpoint for a claim. Their results were shocking. By targeting claims that were initially neutral to a viewpoint of interest, the amount of changes needed to corrupt the overall results could be minimized. 
This meant that adding only a single malicious sentence to the evidence would cause a drop in the accuracy to worse than guessing against most fact verification systems. We see three takeaways from this. One, that the context and nuance are especially important aspects to reason about when it comes to sorting fact from fiction, especially in an environment with malicious disinformation. It is unsurprising that an automated system's output would be corrupted by tainting its input, even if the amount of malicious changes are small. Number two, machine learning systems have historically used fact or knowledge databases, though despite significant investment in time and resources, they have not gained the popularity of the statistical models commonplace today. A hybrid approach with certain reasoning rule sets that can be augmented with statistical mining of data may hold a promising compromise for more robust machine learning that is still flexible to new environments. And lastly, no longer is the disinformation threat contained to human troll farms. Natural language generation can scale disinformation and directly target the places it matters most. To wrap up this episode, we present the quarter's nifty sundries, starting with Why No One Pwned Synology at Pwned to Own in the Typhoon Cup in 2021 by Eugene Limital. This talk examines Synology targets at two IoT-focused exploitation contests. The presenter was on a team that had discovered multiple vulnerabilities in the NAS, but due to good coding hygiene, their team and all the others that attempted that target were unable to successfully chain the bugs into a full exploit. In the author's self-reflection, they identified three consistently deployed defensive coding practices that prevented full exploitation. Declarative flows for authentication and authorization, hardened library functions that were integrated into bundled open source components, and finally, a minimization of duplicate code. While none of these are novel, it's worth noting that seeing these deployed into an IoT class device and showing practical benefit, even with a $40,000 bounty, should offer some compelling data points for investments in defensive programming. The researchers did note that there were vulnerabilities present, but they either were broken by other security practices or restricted to only authenticated users. Synology not only developed and enforced the usage of safer alternatives to commonly misused memory manipulation functions, but carried these alternatives into open source components on the platform. This prevented bugs in a well-known open source server or library from automatically resulting in code execution on the Synology device. The consistent usage of the same validation functions both on the front end and back-end components prevented discrepancies from opening differentials that could be later exploited. While it's common to see write-ups from Capture the Flag contests or other exploitation challenges, the majority of them are about their successful entries. It's nice to see this level of introspection from a team that was unable to chain their vulnerabilities into a win. Hopefully this real-world data will help justify money well spent by the vendor and encourage others to adopt these common-sense practices with the rigor needed. That said, it's important to note that these types of contests incentivize specific classes of exploits, namely unauthenticated remote code execution, and may skew the perceptions of product security. Obviously, the lack of a bounty payout does not mean there are no bugs in this device or that it is unhackable, but it does offer clues about how to design and improve systems. For comparison, there were over 35 bugs in Synology NASA's in 2020. Next, we have Drawn Apart, a device identification technique based on remote GPU fingerprinting by Tomer Lauerdahl. Physically unclonable functions, or PUFFs, are software functions that respond with a value specific to a unique piece of hardware. PUFFs expose manufacturing variants, minute differences between each individual silicon component that are usually hidden. These differences are unique to each individual device, not just a model or product family. This work developed a puff based on small performance variants in a GPU's execution units to fingerprint each unique device. Using WebGL, 
The researchers could perform this hardware-specific analysis through pure JavaScript without any special permissions in the browser. Through a combination of fast and slow shading programs run through WebGL, a unique performance fingerprint could be generated for each browser, tying it to the underlying hardware on which the browser was running. The researchers then evaluated the accuracy of their GPU measurement in a lab environment and in the wild. Depending on the specific hardware generation, accuracy could reach above 90%. In the wild, there is limited opportunity to gather clean traces. Additionally, each client may have different workloads or temperatures. By using Witting volunteers, the researchers attempted to track the volunteers' clients over time, measuring their accuracy over 70 days or more. This work highlights the risks of allowing arbitrary workloads to be run on your systems, i.e. in the browser. Even with the removal of fine-grained timing information to combat speculative execution attacks, JavaScript is still able to capture enough timing information to expose manufacturing variants in GPUs. Unsurprisingly to many, this work further highlights the dual-use nature of security research. Puffs have been used to combat counterfeits, protect supply chains, and tether encrypted data to a specific device. This work shows how remotely triggered puffs can be used for user tracking and countering privacy techniques. From this quarter's offensive con, there's Samuel Gross and Amanda Burnett's review of attacking JavaScript engines in 2022. The usefulness and prevalence of browser exploits has been a mainstay of attackers for many years now. A particularly fruitful avenue has been the browser's JavaScript engines, which have time and time again proved vulnerable to all sorts of attacks. The state of engines half a decade ago is rather poor, but browser vendors have succeeded in upping the ante, and modern JavaScript engine exploitation is significantly more complex. This presentation is a high-level state-of-knowledge review of current JavaScript engine exploitation techniques. They comprehensively discuss why just-in-time compilation has provided a rich source of security issues, show the typical types of attack paths for various bug classes, and refer to bugs that don't rely on just-in-time compilation. In discussing modern defenses to memory corruption, such as authenticated pointers or control flow guard, they point out that engines don't have great support for these techniques yet. They also show possible bypasses for pointer authentication, though it must be said the examples are less generic and will depend on the specifics of the vulnerability in question. That theme is echoed in additional techniques they covered, namely scripted code execution and data-only attacks. With increased pointer authentication and control flow integrity defensive techniques, ROP will be much less likely. However, this paper shows that alternatives still exist, but with less generality. This is a good thing. It says that attackers will need to work harder to convert the vulnerabilities they find into reliable exploits. Takeaways from this is that the depths of browser JavaScript engine attacks continues to be explored with no bottom in sight. That said, attacks are much more specific and complex, and class size bugs are rare. Lastly, the domination of the web means that in many cases an attacker does not need to break out of the browser to cause significant damage. Breaching the single origin policy will suffice. And now for the last two of this issue. They're looking at new hardware features to improve security. Both are from Microsoft's Security Response Center. The first is Security Analysis of MTE Through Examples by Sar Amar. And secondly, An Armful of Cherries by Sar Amar et al. Both of these works examine the improvements available or coming soon to ARM CPUs to improve memory safety through hardware. The first is the Memory Tagging Extensions, or MTE, that aims to use the four most significant bits of a memory address to store a tag. These tags are verified to match the tag on the pointer, either synchronously or not, to ensure a pointer wasn't constructed to access memory out of bounds. MTE does add some entropy to prevent exploitation of memory corruption vulnerabilities and is designed to minimize the effort needed as close to none as possible to deploy. 
The researcher explores the practical security improvements brought about by MTE and their various assumptions of their deployment. Culminating with a capture the flag challenge, exploitation is examined with various configurations of MTE. In summary, due to the limited number of bits that are in a 64-bit address but not used by the MMU, and their limitation in use with a single allocation, MTE moves the needle to a better place, but exploitation of some classes of attack are still on the table. The second mitigation, Cherry, aims to take more classes of attack off the table, but with more changes needed to the software. Cherry fundamentally changes the notion of memory access from pointers that can be constructed to capabilities that can be reduced in access scope, but never increased. This can allow for protected sandbox regions of memory and hardware-assisted protections to prevent moving beyond those regions all the way to each individual memory allocation, preventing any buffer overflows. The researchers explored the bug reports in Microsoft's Security Response Center and found that with Cherry, 43% would have been rendered inert 100% of the time. With some software support, this could reach almost 70% of the reported vulnerabilities. The takeaways for this is that it's always worthwhile to see how a mitigation performs in practice and what assumptions are valid or not in real world. MTE certainly raises the bar with minimal cost of deployment. Further analysis on the Cherry hardware will determine if the software changes are worth the deterministic improvements or if they fall over in practice. And second, we thought that the model of capture the flag challenges offers a great way to evaluate a mitigation and see what edge cases may have been missed by developers. Hopefully future CTFs will include mitigations and report on their results as an added benefit. And with that, thanks for listening. In conclusion, despite the ebbs and flows of the pandemic and associated conferences postponing and limiting in-person conferences with hallway tracks, there is still a wealth of top-notch research happening in the community. Even over the period of a quarter, there were clear themes that emerged in the published works. Deeply technical work exploring and exploiting low-level system components, confidential computing coming to the mainstream, and machine learning, both used to bolster side-channel attacks as well as novel entries in the adversarial AI ML space. The second quarter of 2022 promises a wealth of new content with a number of rescheduled conferences occurring between April and June. Additionally, with the inclusion of blogs and other types of content, our next issue is already promising to be a great one. We look forward to seeing what the community will bring us in the coming months. This show is made possible by Thinks Canary. Know when it matters. To learn more, check out canary.tools.